There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Well, we do want to thank you once again for tuning into the podcast. This is our Thursday edition of the podcast. And we're going to begin the last chapter of Job. Probably take two podcasts to do this. I want to look at some things the Lord has given me concerning this and a message the Lord gave me several years ago. We had a dear pastor friend of ours over in Seacane, Pennsylvania, and he passed away in the middle of the night unexpectedly. And the Lord gave me some thoughts out of this chapter of the book of Job. And I'm just going to relay those thoughts to you today and try to be a help, try to be an exhortation. I pray it's under righteousness. Pray for our last night of Vacation Bible School tonight with Brother Dale Morey over in Blaine, Pennsylvania. And then this weekend, we'll be down at the park again in the pavilion, open-air preaching, down at Mont Alto, Pennsylvania. And we thank the Lord for the opportunity there. Brother Sculpted, Brother Morey, myself will all be there. And just pray that the Lord will use those services as well. We're in Job 42, and again, we're going to try to wind up the book of Job. In chapter 42, he says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Now the Lord has spoke to Job for all these chapters. Job has put his hand upon his mouth. He has ceased to speak. That's a wonderful thing that Job did. Chapters 38, 39, 40, 41, four chapters of the Lord speaking. And Job finally responds to God and says, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Now, we see a lot in the book of Job. As we begin to summarize this, we've seen the prophecy. We've seen, of course, Jesus Christ, the sufferings of Christ. We've seen the glory that should follow in the resurrection. We now know that Job certainly was a great prophet of God. We do see the battle, and uh, we see a great spiritual battle. We do see spiritual warfare in this, but we also see types. We see pictures of a spiritual battle which is to come one in which the Lord will be victorious. That is what we're dealing with, what we're looking at in this. Uh, But Job, on the other hand, Job is a perfect man. He's an upright man. We started that in Job chapter 1 initially. He's one that feared God. He eschewed evil. And now Job is responding after all the accusation and all the words. Job is going to respond to what God has said. His friends have torn to pieces. Elihu has rebuked him. The Lord has rebuked him. And he says, and I know that thou canst do everything that no thought can be withholden from thee. God knows even the very secrets of your heart. God knows the very thinking of your heart. God knows exactly what you're thinking today. The evidence of that we know is in the life of Hannah. We know it's also over there. And and, and oftentimes it's used in scripture when Isaac is looking for a wife. We see the thought of his servant's heart. We see as Eliezer goes out. And uh, he's trying to find that wife. We see the thinking of his heart. We see the workings of his heart. God reveals that. We see the heart of Jesus Christ, I believe, in Psalm 22. In verse 3, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. 
So Job is now beginning to acknowledge these were things I understood not. These are things that they were foreign to me. I didn't, I didn't realize what this meant. I didn't understand what these things were. He said they were too wonderful for me. I've used oftentimes in Scripture, and especially in this passage, there are things in the Bible that are just too wonderful. Things that the Lord tells you are too wonderful. Things that you and I have a terrible time trying to understand. We try to pretend like we understand. and Science pretends like they understand. But in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 18, the Word of God told us this, There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. And then he tells you what these are. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. And he tells us this, these are things too wonderful for me. These are things that are beyond our understanding. And I like in that first, he talks about the way of an eagle in the air. How do we understand how the eagle flies? Now, I realize science can try to explain those things and how each feather independently can work in an eagle's wings and he can just glide upon the thermals, but he can read the thermals. You know, God's put that in him. That's what scientists don't want to acknowledge. God's just made him to understand that. How does the eagle see the thermals? How does he know where the rising air is going to be? How does he know those things? Because God put that in him. He didn't evolve into that. He didn't just happen to fall into that. One day an eagle learned such a thing by happenstance and then taught all the other little baby eagles how to do it. Now they just pass it on to their children. That's foolishness. That's just foolishness to even begin to think of something like that. God has put that in him. But we understand it not. That way of a snake upon a rock. How does that snake move? Well, it's beyond our understanding. Scientists try to explain how the scales and they work together. And what's interesting is if you begin to look at snakes and understand a little bit more about them, uh, some of them, they're twisting their way up on a rock. The reason they twist like that, their spines are flexible, their scales grip the rock, is so that they can move forward. But then there are snakes, the larger prey snakes especially, uh, the pythons and anacondas, they don't move that way up on a rock. They go in a straight line. And yet God made them that way. And then there's, of course, the famous sidewinder of the southwest of America, the sidewinder uh, rattlesnake, and he just thrashes about and twists himself, and his body turns, and he does that head pointed straight where he's going. Though His body doesn't follow his head. His body's all sideways and kooky and twisting all over the place, and he goes where he wants. That's something too wonderful for us. We can't understand that. We try to pretend like we understand it. We can't comprehend that. And that's why it's too wonderful. It's these things that we can't see in our reasoning. We just try to explain them. We try to let scientists explain them. But then he said, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea. Why don't ships sink? It's rare that a ship sinks out there in amazing storms and violent storms. And by the way, ships don't just sink. The ships slowly sink for the most part. Either they have an explosion or they get uh, overrun with water. They get founded in a storm. It takes time for a ship to sink. It's rare that a ship immediately sinks without some type of a serious disaster. And so when I say a ship does not sink, it just ship out there on the ocean just doesn't normally just sink. It's a marvel. It's a wonder. You know, there's old wooden ships that cross the ocean in mighty storms and violent storms. The rigging would be rent to pieces. The mainmast would be snapped. Uh, the ropes would be splintered and torn to pieces. The sails would be rent, yet they'd limp into a harbor somewhere and repair the ship. You know why? Because that's a wonder, and God made it to be a wonder. How that ship is tossed about, that little helm steers that ship upon the sea. God wants us to wonder at those things. We don't need to understand those things. Just know it's a doing of God. And those ships have been, 
by the way, for many, many years. God has spoke oft of those ships. He speaks of those mariners up on the face, and we understand that. And so we know that those ships drive about the seas, but we don't understand why they do what they do. These mighty super tankers, these mighty cargo ships out there in the most massive of storms and cargo washing overboard and things washing overboard, but that ship just maintains a steady course. It's tossed about on the sea. He said, that's too wonderful for us. He said, for which I know not. And the fourth is this, the way of a man with a maid. That is something that's very hard to understand, how God just puts it in that young man. He knows when that maid comes to him, they come together in that bond of marriage. He knows, he instinctively knows. He takes that maid unto himself. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonder, man. You know, some folks have labeled that dirty. I've heard some of the old timers talk about you shouldn't talk about such things in church. And I blatantly disagree with that because the word of God spoke of those things. I heard a man say one time, he said, we don't need our children to know these things too early in life. And I said, no, the problem is children don't know these things. Therefore, they try to experiment and try to find out with pornography and magazines and friends. And it's to their destruction. These are natural things. Every parent has to determine in their own thinking when they're going to teach their children these things, but these are things you're going to need to be taught. There's a way of a man with a maid that's a wonderful thing. We can't understand that. I've been married now for 10 years. It's 10 years behind me, but I certainly have never forgotten it. I've never left my mind those early days and the way with my maid and what a wonderful thing that is, and I can't fully understand that. These are things that we don't understand. That's what Job was referencing when he speaks and he tells the Lord, who is he the height of counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. He's telling the Lord, I don't understand these things. These are too wonderful for me. Leviathan is too wonderful for me to understand. Leviathan, that that created being. And yet he's so destructive and he's so mighty in his power. And bodily, no man can tame him, yet God himself is going to destroy him. He tells us that. And so again, these are things too wonderful for me. You go over there in the fens in the river and you go in there in the reeds of the river and you look at Behemoth and you realize this is something too wonderful for me. You go into the treasures of the snow, the treasures of the hail is too wonderful for me. The earth hung upon nothing is too wonderful for me. The stars of the heavens... They're too wonderful for me to comprehend. If men would just really look at those things and marvel at the wonder that is the Lord, wonder at the the wonders that God has made and look into the heavens and wonder and look into the stars and the nature and look into the birds and look into the animals and look at the wonder that God has made. It is a wonderful thing. These are things we understand not. How much more the spiritual? In the parable of the sower, the great, truth that is often wrestled with, contended with, because there were good men, there were men of renown that preached in the parable of the sower. These were all saved. And it's just finding that one is that good sold out soul winning fundamentalist that survived uh, the thorns and the briars and the sun. And he could produce fruit. He's just the good sound church member. But all four of them got saved. And that's to the folly of many. That's a misunderstanding of scripture because he tells us of that fourth, that seed fell upon good ground. The sun did not burn it up. The the brambles and the briars and the thorns did not choke it out. It didn't fall by the wayside. The devil didn't snatch the seed out of the ground. But this this is he that hath understanding. God has opened his eyes. Job's had spiritual understanding, but he didn't really understand God. 
He had understanding of the holy, but he didn't really understand the workings of God. And how mighty that is, how marvelous that is, how wonderful it is when we sit back and realize this is God's doing. That's the way salvation ought to be. Well, when a man has salvation, he ought to marvel at the wonderful work of God. He ought to wonder at what God has done. It's a wonderful thing. You can't explain it. And I hear people try to explain salvation, but you know what it boils down to? I understand the doctrine of salvation. I know it inside and out. I know the work of salvation because God tells us that. I preach it, and some men get all offended and get their feelings hurt, probably under doubt and under conviction. But they get their feelings hurt a lot of times, and, and people get their feelings hurt. They go, well, they're just going too far explaining salvation. Well, the Apostle Paul explained it, and he explained it pretty much in depth. I don't know how he went too far. And Jesus Christ himself explained salvation. No man come to the Father but by me. That's pretty legalistic. That's pretty strong, but that's what he said. And therefore, we go through these things, and we understand and have all this knowledge. But you know what it ultimately boils down to? It's a work of God. And God has to give the increase. Therefore, neither he that planteth nor he that watereth is anything, but God that giveth the increase. And so we need the Lord. And Job has this understanding now. His eyes have been opened to things, but you know more than anything else, at the end of the day, what does he see? He sees the Lord. And that's what you and I need more than anything else. We need to see the Lord. We'd have understanding. If you see the book of Job and you read 41 chapters and you miss the Lord and you've missed everything, it's just like the Psalms, 150 chapters, most of them pointing to Jesus Christ. And I know even when I started out, there were people who said, man, McVeigh's going too far with this stuff. But I think more than ever, there are people that listen to this podcast. There are people that follow along with their Bibles. There are people that have understanding, and they realize that a lot of folks don't want to go against the grain. They don't want to go against tradition. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. They don't want to go against their pastor. You know, and their pastor says, well, McVeigh's gone too far. And they say, well, we can't go too far then. We got to kind of reel this in a little bit, and we'll take the accepted Protestant norm. We'll take it. You know, up to Psalm 88, there's about, you know, 18 Messianic Psalms, maybe 21, depends on who you read after. And yet we go far past Psalm 88. You know, it's amazing. Psalm 116 is so blatantly Jesus Christ. And Psalm 140, again, 140, 142, it's blatantly, it's Jesus Christ. It's so clear. It's so obvious. But because some Protestant writer didn't see that, we got to deny it. And because some of our great heroes of the faith didn't see that, we got to deny that. The faith that I am building up in Jesus Christ, praying in the Holy Ghost, that faith is built on the backs of those men that went before us. I've heard great preaching. I've heard great men. I've preached with men that trained under Oliver Green. I've preached with men that trained under Lester Roloff. I've preached with men that trained under John Rice. I've preached with men that preached under men that had no big names out there. I've preached for many men that trained under Harold Seitler, under the ministry of Oliver Green. Why? Because they were great men. I've had the privilege to preach with, preach for, and be around Brother Sammy Allen. I've had the privilege to preach for, preach with, be around Brother Don Green. They are heroes of the faith. They're with the Lord now. But what a blessing it's been to know those men, to work with those men, to be around those men. But what I've done is I've taken the ministry and built up on the things they have taught me and tried to take it further. And my prayer is this young generation coming behind us that we preach to, they take these things with understanding that God gives them and build them upon my faith and upon the faith of others. And they build their faith in Jesus Christ. And they take this farther than anybody has ever taken it before, yet in the bounds of Scripture. That's my heart's desire. The problem is you have a generation that's been trained. Well, you got to preach exactly what your mentor taught you. 
Therefore, you got to go soul winning you know, three hours a week on Tuesday nights. You got to go on bus visiting two hours on Saturday morning. You got to have a nursing home ministry one Sunday out of the month. I mean, just the formality, the deadness, the rigidity. And yet they've never made impact on one person's life. They don't know their own neighbors. Their own neighbors don't even know they're Christians. Why? Because they've been taught a dead form of religion, and they've never gone beyond that dead form of religion. They've never let God minister to them out of the Scriptures. They've never believed what God said. This Bible is no longer a wonderment to them. They feel like they know everything they need to know out of Scripture. A young one recently told me, he said, I probably learned more in youth week than I learned in four years of Bible college. He said, they taught me how to run a church. They taught me how to run a ministry. They taught me all the ins and outs. But he said, as far as the doctrines of the word of God, he said, I learned more this week than I learned in the entire four years. And why? Because the Bible's not being used. It's not being preached. There are men out there that have spiritual understanding, but their eyes have not been opened to the depths of Jesus Christ. And what more desire could a man want than to see this generation coming behind and build upon the things he's taught them and take them further than he's ever taken them before? That's what we've tried to do in Psalms. That's what I tried to do with Joe. Listen, I don't I don't just flippantly go out there and try to find a messianic psalm to prove how smart I am or how wise I am or to try to prove everybody else is wrong. No, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see the soul of Jesus Christ, you can't pretend it's not there. Once you see a soul's offered for sin, you can't pretend like it happened somewhere else. I can't get on board this foolish notion that we got to change these words and change, well, this word here is Hades and this word here is Sheol and this word over here means something different. I can't get on board with that. Why? Because I've seen what God has shown me. I have understanding of the Holy through Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Holy Ghost inwardly, and I can't change those things. And God has showed us these things, and they're too wonderful for me. I have to utter this. There are things I understood not, and these things were too wonderful for me. And I want to thank the Lord for just showing me a small piece of what God has in store for us. I do mean a small piece. There's the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. We have not scratched the surface in the book of Job to what the Lord could teach us, what the Lord could show us. Uh, Tomorrow, as we close out this podcast in Job 42, I pray you'd think on these things. I pray you would have learned something from these chapters. I pray it'd be a help to you. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints are.
singing the glorious song of the redeemed. 